I'm muted. There we go. <clears throat> All right. Good morning. Um, ah, boy. So much going on this morning. Is it not weird to not have Pastor Bob and Pastor Gabe here? It, it feels like mom and dad are away, but when the, <clears throat> when the cats are, when the cat is away, right? The mice, no. Um, I just want to say to them, uh, I, go, I hope you guys, I, I, I saw Pastor Bob uh, log in, kind of comment on the online chat, uh, which, by the way, is being manned by none other than our new youth leader, Jonathan, this morning, um, and Emma, his wife, is in the booth. They're both our youth leaders here. If you haven't met them, do that. <clears throat> they are, <clears throat> they've been filling in nicely, um, but I just want to say, I hope you guys have an umbrella drink in your hand right now. I just really hope that that's what's going on. Um, you know, can we just, you know, just take a minute, I just want to acknowledge, and this is the first vacation they've had really in five years since this church started on its own, so what a huge blessing, and it really is just because of what everyone does here that's been, um, the, the ways people have stepped up that has allowed them to, to kind of go and do that, so let's give them a hand online, just thinking, good, 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 now that that is out of the way, um, good morning everyone, good morning to Everyone online, good morning to our brothers and sisters in Tanzania, Paphros Malale and our, our sister church out there. Um, I hope I'm going to say this right. Habariagioni, which if I said that correct is good evening in Swahili. Otherwise, I may have started an international incident, not knowing, but that's okay. We'll see. Um, so, um, <clears throat> yes, I am <clears throat> preaching this morning, and forgive me for... I actually spent Thursday and Friday in bed, so um, I praise Jesus that I'm here, able to actually think clearly at the moment, so we'll get this, uh, if I'm a little coffee this morning, we'll go with that, but um, we do have a kind of a, a meaty message this morning, it's a good one, I think, and um, I'm going to tell you it might go just a minute or two long, but I think it's going to be worth it, so um, actually before I get there, I had told Bob a story um, that I realized this week, and he said, oh, you gotta, you gotta mention that. So um, God, in his infinite sense of wink-wink humor, allowed me to preach this week and next week. Um, this week, a year ago, uh, my life looked very different than it did a week ago, next, or a year ago, next week. So a year ago tonight at 3 a.m., I went into the hospital and had my pacemaker installed. So... Um, <clears throat> Very interesting uh, that he would stick me right here in between these two weeks because I wouldn't be standing up here if it weren't for that. And many of you know that story and um, how God took what could have been a life-crushing event and turned it into just something uh, so life-giving and amazing. And it really, I just partly just share that with you to know that, man, if you're, if you're in the middle of something or if you hit, if you, anytime you hit something, it just seems like what in the world is going on? Um, Man, God just, he knows what's, he knows what's up, and he, uh, he does not, he does not do, he's not surprised by those things, um, and he works through them in oftentimes miraculous ways, so just to encourage us and trust there, so. All right, we are continuing in our letter from James this morning, a letter from James to the churches scattered abroad in the first century. I have, like I said, the potentially daunting privilege of handling chapter three this week and next week. So um, this is, this message this morning is a bit of a hot button message, I think, because the first 12 verses deal with a pretty delicate issue in our culture. So let's read through it and then you'll know where we're headed. Um, This is James 3, 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us, and we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? Bear figs? <laughs> Neither can a salt water spring produce fresh water. All right. So with that, it should be clear after that passage why Bob and Gabe chose to leave the country and leave me to preach this. So <laughs> um, there's a lot to cover here, so let's, let's jump in. I want to start... Um, by letting you know, we're going to be talking a lot this morning about the spiritual realm, how it works and how it directly influences our lives. We'll get there in a minute, but I want to talk about a couple other things first. Um, <clears throat> James starts by saying, not many of you should become teachers, right? And when, when James writes that teachers will be judged more strictly, Kayla, the Greek language here um, conveys, <laughs> those two words convey um, really the highest level of legal accountability, right? When he says judge, that's actually a, a legal, like, courtroom term, right? When he says more strictly, that term literally means to the fullest possible extent, right? So um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this principle actually is taught throughout Scripture from the prophets to Paul, right? If you want to study this out further, you can look up Acts 20.26, 20, um, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, literally, quote, I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, right? Interesting language. Um, also in Ezekiel 33, 7 to 9, God charges the prophet, right, that if he does not speak out against anyone he sees in sin, right, and that person dies in their sin, he will hold Ezekiel accountable for that person's blood, um, right, and so Paul echoes that, right, to the Ephesian elders. It's interesting to look at the church in the first century, right, to look at the New Testament and realize that the church is never called to protect itself from anything in the world, right? We are called only to protect ourselves from false teaching and false prophecy, right? That's what the church is called to protect itself from. So, when I think about what that means to stand up here, right, it can be a little intimidating and a bit humbling. See, the job of any one of us that stands up here is not to soothe your conscience or tell you that you're fine where you are. Right? It's our job to call you up to higher things, right, to the things of the kingdom of God. God forbid that I should bring heaven so low right, that you would feel like you've already attained it, right, that I would make you feel so comfortable from this stage that you would forget how many higher levels of life there are to which we have not already attained. Right? I want to be able to stand here and echo Paul's words that I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Right? So a couple quick points on that warning and exhortation. First, I want you to understand our role from teaching up here is not to teach you everything you could ever learn from Scripture. Right? I, I want to encourage us to move away from a consumer-minded idea of church, right? where you get fed here and then you go away for a week and then you come back and you get fed again. Right? The goal of our teaching here is to stir you up in a desire to study out the things of God on a deeper level when you're not here. Right? Your intimacy with God depends on that portion of your life far more than it does on the 40 minutes we spend, right? maybe 45 this morning, here on Sunday morning. Right. Secondly, listen, we're just ordinary people that teach from up here. Right? James says that straight away, right? We'll all be judged more strictly. The next sentence is, we all stumble in many ways. Right? Often there's this interesting expectation that comes with like ascending these two stairs to be up here that suddenly people expect that, you know, I'm no longer the normal person I am the rest of the week when I'm off this stage or for Bob and Gabe as well. Folks, we will always seek to preach, to, to seek integrity from this platform. 
right? That means that I'm not going to stand up here and pretend I'm perfect because I'm not. Um, in fact, I can't imagine anyone wants to listen to someone stand up here that pretends to be perfect because um, let's be honest, nobody likes that guy, <laughs> right? Um, there's a great quote. I actually thought that a, a, an author named Brennan Manning said this, but it turns out he quoted an old evangelist named D.T. Niles that once said this, Christianity is just about one beggar showing another beggar where he found bread, right? I'm just a beggar standing up here in my rags trying to help us find more bread, right? So that admonition to teachers, that's all I want to say about that, but that admonition to teachers is actually not at all disconnected from the rest of, right, the passage on the tongue, right? It's, it's, part and parcel with James' understanding of the power and the consequences of words. Right, so as I said, this can be a very button-pushing passage of Scripture. Right? We live in a time where, where wars are waged far more with words than they are swords or tanks. Right? That's what makes what's going on in the Ukraine seem so odd because it just is so out of place for our world these days. Right? Instead, we live in a world of podcasts and YouTubers and TikTok and social media and cable news and endless political posturing right, where, where we are inundated like never before with people who often choose the most incendiary language they can find right, to get your attention, to get your ratings, to get your money. Right, far from its original intention to fight tyranny, the First Amendment has been weaponized against us. And unfortunately, I think we live in a culture that has often muddled the kingdom of God with its vision of America. Right? I fear that sometimes we think that, some of us think that as soon as we turn the last page of the book of Revelation, right, the next page is the Bill of Rights. Right? That somehow, right, Revelation ends and there's the First Amendment. Right? Folks, the First Amendment is not enshrined in Scripture. Neither, by the way, is the second or the third or the fourth or any of them, right? And let me be very clear. I'm not say, I, I bring that point up this morning not to make a political statement, right? Exactly the opposite. I want you to be clear that as we talk about these things this morning, we are talking about the issues of the kingdom of God, right? I am not telling you what to think about political issues or what to think about those things. I'm trying to separate those things so that you understand I'm giving you the tools of the kingdom of God so that you can go out and properly represent that in the world around us, right? So this is not a, this is not an, a, a, a sermon or a statement about those things. See, to understand how potent James' message here truly is, we need to understand how words work in the spiritual realm, Okay, I went around and around after I knew I was preaching on this for a couple of weeks. I went around and around on how to present this message. See, I think that most of us, if we've been around church a long time, have probably heard a message on this passage before. And it may have gone something like this, right? Okay, you're not in control of your tongue. You should be paying closer attention to what you say to your family, your spouse, your neighbors, right? Because if you don't, you're compromising your witness for Jesus Christ, right? Or maybe you heard it in terms of swear words and rough language or coarse joking with your colleagues, right? It's that type of message that far from making you feel encouraged can leave you feeling criticized or discouraged or like you need to do better, right? And that's why this passage typically falls under the category of Sermons to preach if you want rocks thrown at you, right? There you go. Um, so, in fact, one guy I was talking to uh, at one point about this had asked me, are you going to preach the full message of this, um, you know, this passage, or are you going to try to maybe soften it a little bit to make it more palatable? And I had to stop and think about that for a second, and then I thought, you know, I can't soften this message, Right? And why would I? Right? One, not only because of the accountability that I just said that I have as a teacher of the word, but folks, listen to me. The word of God should never need to be softened. Listen, everything that comes out of this book or out of the mouth of God has one purpose, and that is to call you up higher, 
to a more beautiful, perfect, fulfilling life in Jesus Christ. There's nothing in this message or in this book that is intended to put you down or cause you shame or discouragement. Okay, hear me on this. That is not the heart of God toward us. Ever. So, in, in the heaviness of this message, I thought we could use a little comic relief. So here's a picture of some legs. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so this was actually me and my friend Kyle, who reconnected after about 20 years <laughs> recently. We knew each other in college, and we remembered that we actually had kind of matching tattoos on our legs. So um, his sock game is clearly way better than mine, <laughs> by the way. I don't know how he ended up that one day with my stupid white socks on. <laughs> but Kyle's, sock, Kyle's leg is on the, on the right side here, and he has a, a, t- a tattoo in Hebrew that is Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is mighty to save. My tattoo is in Greek. It says, Huden haranun katakrima tois en Christo Yesu. I've had it on my body long enough to learn how to say it. <laughs> um, it's Romans 8.1. Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Right, it's a powerful verse in my life. You can take that down. Right, for verse two says, for the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Right, James says this, right, we already heard this in chapter two. Speak and act as those um, who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over justice, judgment. See, this, this platform is a place where those who have been forgiven much love much and from where the, the God who is mighty to save proclaims his unbelievable grace to sinners and through sinners Right, of whom I am the worst. Again, right, I'm just a beggar trying to show us where to find bread. So from that place, that the Holy Spirit kept impressing on me one really important point. And though it may not seem like I'm directly addressing this, this passage, stick with me, it'll make sense in the end. The Holy Spirit kept saying this, the most important thing I could explain today is not the words of this passage, but the foundation behind it. Right? The words of this passage are actually pretty straightforward. Right? I could hammer them home, reiterating metaphors about horses and ships and rudders, and you know, that isn't helpful. Right? It's obvious language. You, you get what it's saying. I think the, the key here is that we've lost the perspective of what's written between the lines. Right? It's something that James assumed, right? so he alludes to it, but he doesn't elaborate on it. Okay, so with that, I'm going to stretch our brains a little bit this morning. So everybody take a deep breath. Get your thinking brain on for a minute. Um, I'm going to do this in the context of a couple things about me, okay? So I spent the majority of my professional career in and around the construction industry, right? So I can look at the walls of this, right, the wall of this sanctuary, and just short of x-ray vision, I can tell you what the inside of that wall looks like. Right, I can tell you the size and dimensions and spacing of the lumber. I can tell you likely where the electrical wires run. I can tell you where likely any plumbing pipes are, uh, if there are any. I can tell you the size and value of the insulation. I can tell you the thickness of the drywall, so on and so forth. Right? I can see all of that pretty well because of my experience with it. But if you didn't know anything about construction and I asked you to duplicate that wall what would happen, right? You might be able to do a relatively decent job. You might stack some cardboard boxes up and maybe glue some poster board on the outside or maybe some drywall and figure out how to get some texture and paint it. And if you were careful, it might actually look pretty similar, right? But wait until the wind blows or you try to support a roof on it and you'll find out it's not the same at all. See, the foundation that makes up that wall is far more important than the outward expression of what we see if that wall is going to perform its purpose. In the same way, we can white-knuckle the outward expression of our words and our tongues, right? But we can't really fulfill the purpose 
or meant to until we understand the proper foundation of James' teaching, right? So point two, uh, before my career in construction, I spent three years in college as a philosophy, the first three years of my college career as a philosophy major, which also explains why I spent six years in college. But <laughs> um, um, that being said, I remain really thankful for the training I received on how to think properly, right, and follow a path of logic. So for those who want a more analytical, right, approach to this, we're going to come at it this way. So follow me on this. There is a basic principle of logic, right, that will tell us that nothing that is created, right, can ever be greater than that which created it. Okay, by virtue of the fact that that created thing was conceived of, designed and brought into existence by the creator, right, it simply cannot be greater than the thing that created it. Okay, and here's why that's important, right? I think we tend to think of this world that we can feel and touch, right, drink and sip and taste as primary reality, right? And if there's a spiritual world, it's kind of out there somewhere. We're not really sure if we interact with it or not. We're not really sure the influence it has or the effect on it it might have on what we consider reality. Right, but here's the thing, right? Which one created the other? Right? Even in all of my studies, and I've studied quite a few you know, other worldviews and religions and philosophies, and never have I once ever seen a, a worldview that would say that the physical world actually created the spiritual world. Right? Regardless of the worldview, right, the, the, the spiritual world always creates the physical world no matter what it is. And certainly in Christianity, this is true. Right? We, we understand Right, that, that, God cre- that the spiritual world where God lives and spirit created this physical world. So what does that mean? It means that this is not the primary reality. Right, the spiritual realm is the primary reality that rules over our secondary physical reality. Right, this world is a shadow and an image and a reflection of the really real, right? And if you want, I mean, if you want to study some things out, right, the difference is we live in a world that we would, uh, the worldview that we would consider kind of scientific materialism, right? And, uh, you know, we can test and measure things, right? That was not the worldview of first century um, of Hebrews, right? Um, as a quick aside, the first time I met Emma, the first time Jonathan introduced me to his wife, Emma, we were having a conversation over wings, and Jonathan posed a question to me about spiritual things, and I went, well, you know, that's a tricky one, because to understand that, you really have to understand the worldview of first century Jews, which we would call metaphysical realism, right? And Emma went, oh, I just wrote a paper on metaphysical realism. <laughs> and I looked at her like, are you mocking me? I'm not really sure. Nope, turns out, She's just that smart. So there you go. So we have very smart youth leaders, very well-versed. Um, Jonathan married up, clearly. Um, but uh, so, you know, the idea is, right, metaphysical realism would say this. The spiritual world and the physical world are like this. There is no separation, right? right? This is the worldview that God created, right, where we understand that the spiritual world rules our physical world in a very real paper-thin veil, Right. So why? So why, So where does that lead us? Right. Why am I getting at all that? So in this world, these hands, muscles, tools, hammers. Right. Those are the creative force that create things like this wall, right, or sound booths. Right. But not so in the physical world, or in the in the spiritual world. Right. In the spiritual realm, what is the creative force? Words. Right? What do we see in the beginning? God said, let there be light, right? God said, let, let us make man in our own image. God spoke creation into existence, right? Jesus is the very word made flesh, as we read in John, right? We see this throughout scripture, right? This is John six sixty three. right? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing, The words I have spoken to you, they are full 
of spirit and life. Right, many of us are familiar with Proverbs 18.21, right? The tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs 10.19, where words are many, sin is not absent, but the prudent hold their tongues. See, we need to come to an understanding of the reason, right, that we are the only creatures on earth with language is because that language is part and parcel with our role and character as God's representatives on earth, right? It is part of the image of God. God imbued us at creation with the very same creative power that he used to create the world. See, and here's the thing. We understand the power of words, right? Even as children. Okay, so here's our, let's do an exercise. Call and response here. I'm gonna start a common saying that we've all heard and you finish it, ready? Sticks and stones may break my bones. Okay. I know you are, but there it is. And here's the, here's the one that was tricky on Wednesday. I'm rubber, you're glue. Nice. Thank you, Kayla. I appreciate that. I don't know how you knew that was coming, but that was impressive. <laughs> right? That's the one everyone was like, oh, I know it's something about bouncing and rubber something. Yeah. Right. So funny things. But look, these are tools that we use as children right, to deflect painful and aggressive words, right? We understand this even when we're young, right? As adults, what do we say? That person's got a rapier wit, right? A razor-sharp wit, right? Swords and razors. Words have power, right? We all know too well the power of words in our lives. The power of the tongue is found in the power of the word. Words hold the power in the spirit, the tongue holds the power of life and death in a very real way. Okay, so here's where I need to stop for a moment and make sure I'm being clear on what I'm not saying, okay? Because the devil is really in the business of taking the truth of God and twisting it into lies. So I want to make sure, I wanted to make sure I address this. In the last several decades, we've come across a lot of things um, a lot of ideas have popped up about the idea of manifesting, right? Uh, maybe you remember the book, The Secret, from years ago, or you've heard about the law of attraction, right? It would be easy for anyone who's familiar with those ideas to take my words today and connect those things. And I want to be very clear with you. Those ideas are from the same hell that we're talking about this morning, right? Those are demonic concepts, that have nothing to do with the truth of God, right? I am not saying that we can speak things into reality with our words or that we can somehow manipulate the world around us through that power, right? Words have spiritual power over people because people are spiritual creatures, right? We submit our words and our wills to God, Right? not to our worldly desires so that we can somehow create wealth or relationships or other things that this, these philosophies would tell us. Right? That's, the, that's the, the devil taking the truth of God and twisting it right, to make it something else. There's two fundamentally different ideas. Okay? So I just wanted to make sure I address that. So, listen, we, we have all, I think we can all say we've felt the sting of, of verse eight here where James says, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison, right? Who among us has never felt poisoned by something someone said to us, right? James makes this point very clearly, again, that I'm talking about this morning in verses five and six, but if we aren't looking clearly, if we aren't looking, we can miss it easily, right? So here it is, verse five. So the tongue uh, is a small part of the body and yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And this is verse six. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and then that bottom line, and is itself set on fire by hell. Okay, look at the context here. James makes the analogy that the tongue sets our lives on fire like a forest, and the tongue itself is that small fire that ignites it. But what ignites that small fire? 
Hell itself. Hell itself lights the fire of our tongue. See, this is the foundation I've been, I'm driving at here, right? Why do so many messages on this topic leave us feeling condemned, right? Because it leaves the failure and the work up to us, right? But James doesn't say that, right? Not that we have no responsibility in it, but understand this, the source of the struggle is found in the spiritual realm, not in my own head, right? Did you catch that? The enemy of your soul is a liar and a thief who works to light the fire of your tongue in an attempt to burn down your life and the lives of those around you. Right, so let me summarize where we're at so far. Right, one, words have the creative force in the spiritual realm. Two, the spiritual reality is the ruling reality over our world. Three, because of this, words hold the power of life and death in a very real way. Four, the words of God are spirit and life. And five, the enemy is constantly working against us to twist truth and get us to speak death. Okay, in case you think I'm reaching too far here to make this connection, remember, this is a theme throughout the book of James. Right? To James, our speech and our tongue was a huge component of our spiritual life. Right? We go back to James 1.19. Each of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James 1.26, those who do not keep a, a tight rein on their tongue, their religion is worthless. James 2.12, speak and act. Right? We just read that. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that brings freedom. Right? He makes an important point to say both of those things. James 5.12 talks about don't, do not swear by anything, not by heaven or the temple, right? Because be careful, don't make vows with your words you might not be able to fulfill. Those things have real power. And James 5, 8, 5, 5 through 8, 15 through 18, we all know the passage on the power of prayer, right? The, pow- the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, Right? What do we use? And again, we're not, I'm not separating those things from, from prayer itself, but what do we use to pray? Words. <laughs> right? this, is, this is what we use to communicate with our God. Right? And so this leads us to a powerful truth. Right? There are no benign words in the spiritual realm. Words that we speak to other people or to ourselves, folks, they belong either to life or to death. And there really isn't much of an in-between. See, let's look at how God actually says he uses words, right? In Revelation, God talks about the false teachers in the church at Pergamum. So look at this, Revelation 2.16. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Right? The prophet Isaiah says the same thing in Isaiah 49.2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword, right? And what's the one we're all familiar with in Ephesians 6, in the armor of God, right? Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the very word of God. This is something that we brush over and talk about, but we never really kind of delineate and get to understanding what we're really saying here, right? So if we're gonna get this message and be able to live it out, we have to understand the involvement of the spiritual realm in all of this, right? So let's look at what it means to speak death, okay? There's a wicked, wicked type of post that's been going around social media for the last few years, right? It'll happen that someone, often anonymous, will simply post the words, you should probably kill yourself, right? It's happened to everyone from journalists to teenagers being cyberbullied to sports figures to politicians, etc. Right. So it's not hard to see the flagrant, explicit death in that statement, right? But what about lesser things like, God, I'm such an idiot. So stupid. Such a moron. <laughs> I'm never going to get anything right. I'm always going to be a failure. I mean, look at me. Who, who could love this? I'm always just going to be a broken mess of a person. Yeah, you know, you're never really going to amount to much. I don't even know why you bother trying. You're never going to be good at that. 
you should just give up and quit. I hate that person. They are so disgusting. I can't believe they live like that. I'll never get out of debt. I'm never going to be successful. I'll never lose weight. I hate my body. I hate myself. Probably better if I was just never born. You should probably just kill yourself. Can you hear the death in every one of those statements? Truth be told, many of us have probably heard or spoken some of those things. If so, do those words still sting you? Right? Folks, words like this carry power in the spiritual realm. Right? When you speak words of life like that, or words of death like that over yourself and others, listen, you invite the enemy over that person's life or your own. This is why these words have such lasting power in our memories. Right? James says this, right? With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. That word curse in that sentence is not figurative. It literally means to call a curse on someone. And yes, we have that power. Right? If you doubt that, right, study out the Old Testament understanding of blessings. Right? In, in, to ancient Hebrews, a blessing was a, like, a physical gift you gave someone. Right, we see that in Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob gets Esau's blessing and then um, you know, you know, Isaac's like, I can't just take it back and give, like I can't, like once it's given, I can't take it back and give it. It's not just words. It's as tangible as money or anything else you give someone. And if we have the power to bless and speak life, then we have the power to curse and speak death. See, we either invite the work of God over someone's life or we invite the work of the enemy over someone's life. Right, so let's turn the coin over and see what it means to speak life. A little more uplifting. Right, all life comes from the author of life, right? So we often call on the person and promises of God when we speak life, right? God loves me. There's no judgment, anger, or condemnation left for me because Jesus has given me his life. Right? God has never left me and he never takes his eyes off me. He doesn't make mistakes. I am not a mistake. My life has purpose and meaning. Right? What I said earlier, right? I, it doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. I know God understands and he's present. Right? I'm a human and I'm allowed to make mistakes. Right? Thank God that he can work through and in spite of my mistakes. You know, your spouse, babe, I know our life isn't perfect or often easy sometimes, right? But I am so blessed and thankful to do life with you, right? I'm not a perfect parent, but I'm thankful my heavenly father is, right? And then I can fall back on him to help me if I'm falling short. You know, man, I like you. You impress me and I'm thankful to know you, you know? Hey, I'm glad I get to work with you. Right? I just thought you should know that. Dude, you're awesome. <laughs> right? Now, here's the thing. Do some of those things sound a little funny? Right? They're beautiful, but would you feel awkward saying that to someone? Do you see the programming of the enemy in that? Right? Think about it this way. Right? When we play sports, guys, gals, what do we call the language we use on the court of the field? Right, we're talking, talking trash, right? Or for the younger folks, we're throwing shade, <laughs> right? Isn't it interesting we don't have a positive counterpart for that? What would you even call it? Right, can you imagine someone being like, dude, that player on the other team, he was talking so much life to me all game long, right? That dude was throwing sun my way the whole time. Like, would you not look at that and be like, what are you even talking about? Like, what is that even, what? Right, folks, listen to me. We're so numb and blind to, this, to the spiritual power of our words 
that we don't even consider how much our communication revolves around speaking death. Okay? And please don't tell me that there's, oh, there's just words, they don't want to court, they don't mean anything. Right? If you think that's the case, try this. Right? For the next several days, try to speak only life-giving words over the people around you, at work, at home, at school, at play. Here's what will happen. One, people will take notice. Right? We are not used to hearing those things, and so people will either pay attention, or actually they might possibly mock you because they don't think you're being genuine. Two, you might find it difficult to actually stay in that place very long. It's not how we're normally, right? Again, it's not the way we've been programmed to talk. Here's the key one. Three, you're going to recognize that you feel different if you do that. It is very hard to be angry, bitter, complaining, unloving when you're constantly speaking words of life over yourself and others. And here's why. Right? Jesus told us this very clearly in Matthew 12, 33 to 37 here. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. And here he's speaking to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of his good store of treasure and the evil man evil things out of his evil store of treasure. But I tell you, listen to this, that men will give an account on the judgment day for every careless word they have spoken. Then he goes here. This is Jesus. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. That's an intense statement. But here, hear this. It doesn't even make any sense unless you understand the spiritual power of words. Right? Why would Jesus even say that if words were just words? See, James echoes this same sentiment. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Right? He offers several rhetorical questions at the end that all have the same answer, right? No, of course not. And do you see why? Our words have so much meaning and power. Where does Jesus say they come from? Right? Here. Verse 34, second half. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Here's, the, here's the trick, folks. We don't speak anything other than what we really think about the world and ourselves and the people around us. Right? Even says this, out of the overflow of the heart, right? Many versions will say out of the fullness of the heart or out of the abundance of the heart. It's actually out of what you think of the most that comes out of your mouth. So all that being said, how do we put this into practice in everyday life, right? How do we begin to train ourselves to recognize the forces at work against us that want to light our tongue on fire? Let's take an example from Jesus. Good idea? Okay. Peter says this of Jesus in 1 Peter. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he ju- entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I spoke earlier about the fact that I'm just a normal person, Right? One thing that tends to happen, and Bob will say this as well, almost without fail, is that if I'm preaching or teaching on a, on a particular message like this one, the issues of that message come up in my own life <laughs> in the week leading up to teaching, right? And why wouldn't they? Especially based on what we're talking about, the spiritual realm. Right? The enemy would love nothing more than to throw a temptation my way, see me fail, right? And then rail me with accusations of shame and hypocrisy, and essentially sideline my effectiveness. Right? At the same time, why wouldn't my Father in heaven let me go through that temptation in order to test me and make sure that I'm speaking up here out of the things of my heart? Right? You remember chapter one and taking joy in all the testing we're going through, right? <laughs> right? 
you don't want me standing up here saying something that I'm not living out or that I don't really believe. Right, God is quick to to test me as a teacher to go, you're gonna say that, you can live that too, right? So this week I ended up with an opportunity to write something to someone that would have been largely anonymous, right? The situation is one I've been dealing with for some time and I am way less than happy with this individual. Right, so from a worldly perspective, the perspective of the enemy, this guy deserves every word I could throw at him. And trust me, when this test came up, my mind started rolling hard and fast, right, on all the criticism and insults and personal attacks that I have wanted to say, right? And here's where I want you to see the nuance of how the devil works in this, right? I wanted to say those things because there is real injustice taking place in this situation, not even against me, right? I'm watching this situation. I'm seeing the injustice, right? I want justice in this situation, which is a perfectly godly desire, right? And that's exactly where the devil likes to step in, right? Praise God that he tapped me on the shoulder and gently reminded me of, oh, I don't know, this whole message, right? Right? Immediately, I could see the way the devil would take those words and draw me into ungodly anger. Write chapter one again, right? Each of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because worldly anger, right, does not produce the righteousness God desires. Then he would take those words and he'd stick them like a knife in the side of that guy and in his heart and in his life and draw him into anger and shame. And then what happens if my message somehow suddenly ceases to be anonymous? Right now the devil's made it known that all those words came from a pastor at this church. Now the door's open for the enemy to take shots at the integrity of Discover, at Bob, at the purposes of God here. Right, all because I couldn't bridle my tongue. Right, I was invited to let hell light the wick of my words to set a fire that could have caused widespread destruction. Right? So again, I don't stand up here pretending I've got this all under control, and right? I'm standing up here telling you that I live this out daily as well. Right? But someone might say, hello, wind. Someone might say, Does God, doesn't God want justice too? Right? Of course he does. Right? but it's his job to bring it about, right? That's where I err. Justice is not my job and it is not my right, right? Again, we look at that verse in 1 Peter. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly, his father. Not even Jesus took that on himself. So in a brief moment of wisdom, I chose instead to speak life over this man. Still wrote the message, but it was only things that were true, phrased in a way that let him know he is causing pain, right, through his abuses, but calling him to be better. It's a message that if it came out that I, that I wrote it, I'm comfortable standing behind in confidence and integrity, knowing I wrote it in love, right? I don't have to compromise the truth, but I don't get to, to roll up into speaking death, right? I had to take an assessment of what was overflowing out of my heart, right, life or death. So likewise, here's your quick, your chance to put these principles to work. What are you thinking about me (laughs) as I express that situation, right? Are the words in your mind life or death to me right now? So listen, this is just a primer on understanding the way the spiritual world works around us and tries to take advantage of us, right? Do we have an enemy? Absolutely. Is our enemy anything to be scared of? Not at all. We have complete victory over our enemy unless we ignore him and thereby give him unhindered access to our life. Right, as Bob once said in in a a previous uh, series on spiritual warfare, you lose 100% of the battles you don't know you're in. Right? This is the moment I will encourage you to study out some of these things for yourself and understand them deeper. By the way, you can find that entire sermon series on spiritual warfare 
on our website in the, in the sermon archives if you want to listen to it. I highly recommend it. That's actually the sermon series that brought me to discover in the first place back in 2020. <laughs> so um, I, I like it. Um, so listen, we have a handout, a um, couple final thoughts. We have a handout in the back as you go out. It's on the door. There's a this version and the kind of cloud version. You can pick your whatever you want, <laughs> prettier version or not. But this is a this is a um, just a, a page that has all kinds of verses about who you are in Christ, right? It just says, in Christ, I'm accepted, I'm secure, I'm significant, all these kind of identity things, right? It's a very easy way to speak life over yourself and those around you, right? Keep it by your bed, say a few in the morning, say a few, keep it on your desk at work, right? If you eat dinner with your family, pass it around, have everybody say one you know, before you, right? Speak life, learn to speak life over yourself and those around you and to understand that, right? It holds real power. It holds power over your life. It holds power over your body. It holds power over your health. It holds power over your family, over your work, over all those around you. These are the things we are called to. And folks, Jesus said, these are the things to which we'll be held account. Right? Calling us up higher to a more beautiful, beautiful way to live. Right. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the word. Thank you for what this means. Uh, thank you for the reality that you hold victory and complete power in the spiritual realm and that we can use that to speak words of life and power over ourselves, over those around us and over our environments to bring the kingdom of God to bear. We love you and we thank, thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, thanks for bearing with me, folks. Uh, before we do uh, worship, I did want to mention really fast, uh, because I forgot to do this at the beginning. This Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, is the first Wednesday of March, which means that our Wednesday service, uh, speaking of the power of words and prayer, um, we will be doing our, our healing prayer time after the Wednesday service. So powerful stuff, really good, really good time. I wanted to make sure I mentioned it because it is very effective. And last time we did it, we saw people get healed. It's an amazing time to come and watch and see Jesus uh, work. So um, if you need healing, if you know someone that needs healing, pre please come on Wednesday uh, around 7, 7.30, and we will, uh, we'll see you then. All right, thanks.